Hello, and welcome to 15 Years Adla the Fact, a podcast of opinions while rewatching Avatar. With a few facts sprinkled in. I'm Kevin. And I'm Rachel. So this episode is episode two, or chapter two, The Avatar Returns. I just wanted to talk about something that, uh, to start off with, that I totally forgot about the past two episodes, <laughs> and that rewatching this show on Netflix, especially, is a drying reminder that TV used to be a square. <laughs> yes. Everything used to be in that four by three aspect ratio. Ah, yes. Kids today, they don't understand. They really don't. <laughs> like, it may not seem like much, but like, honestly, I really wonder what the show would have looked like if it had been made in 16 by nine ratio. Oh, man. You could have seen so much more. Yeah, that's true. But I think also, to be fair, like, if it was, um, you know, a show being made today... It also probably wouldn't be 2D animation. Probably not. At least not to the extent it was back then. Yeah. They probably would have to fight really hard for that to happen. Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the many reasons that um, the aesthetic of this show is definitely very nostalgic for me. uh, Because it... um, Not to say that it doesn't use any 3D animation at all. Um, as we'll see in the next episode, hopefully it's not too much of a spoiler, but there is a little bit clear use of CG animation there. I mean, I don't know if it's really a spoiler, if it's just such a minute detail. It is a very <laughs> minute background detail, but, um, it's like, and we'll point it out when we do the next episode, but, um, some clear CG is thrown into this show here and there, um, I think just to make things a little bit simpler. Um, but overall they stick to the 2D format, which I appreciate. So starting off this episode, we have a... Intro that is similar to the last episode, but a little bit snappier, a little bit more edited, um, just to make it give that a quick, you know, reminder of where we are and what's going on uh, without being too drawn out and cutting into the rest of the episode in terms of time. Yeah, it's kind of funny, like, how uncomfortable rewatching that first episode was for me, just because, like, Mm -hmm. oh, this isn't the intro I'm used to. Yes, right. (laughs) watching this one, and then you hear Katara say, and then the Fire Nation attacked, and you're like, ah, yeah. Yes, everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. What was it, like the Drake meme, where he's like, nah, and then he's like, yeah. Yes, yeah, absolutely. We uh, very much miss that little sense of familiarity. But it's here, and it's gonna stay that way. Um, And I think you also mentioned that, like, you were anticipating when we get the title screen there Mm -hmm. um, with, like, you know, the chapter number and, like, the book one or whatever and, like, the the chapter name. Uh, You're used to, like, in your mind, you at least remember, like, some kind of sound effect. Yeah, because normally they have the, like... Ah, uh, yeah. So. I guess they hadn't like introduced that as a regular thing yet. Well, yeah. I just think it's because like uh, you were right when we were watching it that they probably had these two episodes squished together more often than not. That's how I first see it because I mean, yeah. like episode two really just picks up right where episode one left off. Yeah. And with a new show like this, I could you know very well see Nickelodeon being like a one hour you know special yes. of this new show, right? So mm-hmm. tune in. And, um, you know, check it out. And it's because, I don't know, that's just something that they did. Yeah, marketing. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, that brings up a good point because the episode starts up with, like, Aang and Katara coming back to the village. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was great that, like, Aang, the first thing he does is, like, don't blame Katara. You Mm -hmm. know, it's my fault. And, like, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, what a cute, honest, little, pure boy. (laughs) Aang's always a good, honest, pure boy. I know. But, like, you know, they, they just, they go let you know from the get go that he's an honest little boy. Yes, absolutely. I mean, he's just, 
completely willing to, you know, take the blame and everything like that. Um, something that I actually wrote about this first scene here, uh, when Aang comes back with Katara and they're confronted by the rest of the tribe uh, for the signal flare going off. Yeah. Um, is I actually wrote down the question about why the tribe believes that the flare will automatically signal for the Fire Nation to come and attack them. Mm. Because... From what I saw, it seemed like Zuko was the only, like, Fire Nation ship that was hanging out in those right. waters. There's no, like, normal patrol or anything. Right. It, at least that it, that's not how it seemed to me. Yeah. So I was just kind of, like, confused. Like, did they see Zuko's ship previously? No. And they were just kind of aware it was there? Or is it, is it just paranoia? I think it's just paranoia. You know, I think that's just what the war did to them. Mm. You know, I mean, like, they spent a hundred years being like, don't go in that ship. Mm-hmm. You know? That's true. I guess I just was, like, wondering about that since they just seem so isolated as yeah. a community. And it doesn't really seem like... They're almost, like, forgotten. Yeah. Right? Um, compared to as much later when we see, like, the Northern uh, Pole. Yeah, the Northern Water Tribe. Yeah. Um, so that was just something that kind of stood out to me. But I guess you're right. Yeah, the paranoia. And we definitely see that, like, to an extreme in Sokka's behavior. Right. Right? Just being like, oh, this means that Aang is, like, a traitor. And he is, like, a spy mm-hmm. here to, you know, reveal us to the Fire Nation or something like that and get us all hurt. Yeah. And, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Did you have... Oh, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, also, in that same moment, like, I thought it was very interesting how when uh, Katara was defending Aang, mm-hmm. that she was so prepared to just, like get out of there yes and as we discussed a little bit while we were watching the episode kevin encouraged me to keep my thoughts to myself until we had the podcast same Um, for the podcast yes um that i wrote here right like yeah katara is seemingly very like ride or die for ang right from the get-go which um i think on the surface you know makes her seem like a very caring protective um empathetic person but i think that this is also shown um, right after Aang leaves and she has that, like, you know, argument with her grandmother that I think that Katara is kind of at least partially motivated by selfish reasons for defending Aang and being so willing to just leave with him right away. Because she says to her grandmother, you just chased off, like, my one chance to learn waterbending or something like right, that. Right, yeah. And so she, like, you know, she has this desperation, I think, from the beginning to connect more with that part of her culture. Yes. Right? And she sees Aang as the first chance she's ever had to really, um, you know, get out of the village, get out of this bubble, and actually um, connect with an actual waterbender. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I I, I thought something very similarly. Like, I think mm-hmm. that's like, it's like 40% that, mm-hmm. and then like 50% like wanting to help Aang mm-hmm. or maybe like 50% wanting to learn waterbending and 40% mm-hmm. to want to help Aang. And then mm-hmm. like 10%, like she's 14. She's going through that thing where, you know, you want to be more independent yes, and stuff. And then you kind of like, I'm getting out of here, you know? Right. Kids like saying I'm running away from home, but like not seriously yeah. considering it, just kind of doing it in a huff sort yeah. of thing. Like, it's just like a convenient alignment of like, you know, motivations there. I don't like, again, I think it's a very small part, but it's like, Right, but it's interesting yeah. you bring that up, right? That if this is something that is even like in some small way motivated by immature 
thinking. Mm -hmm. It is very striking then that the youngest person in, um, you know, this dispute, Aang, Mm -hmm. right, is the one to immediately turn to Katara and be like, I don't want to come between you and your family. You should stay here. Like, he takes the very, like, mature stance, right? Instead of just, like, going along with it and just be like, yeah, let's run away together, you know, even though he's, like, a 12-year-old and I could imagine them doing that. Instead, he's like, no, this isn't right. You know, you you should stay and just, like, patch things up with your family. Again, like, it's the same thing as, um when he was so forthcoming unprompted to, you know, admit his mistake. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's just uh, indicative of his past lives because mm-hmm. they, you know, he's lived how many lifetimes? Mm-hmm. So he is literally the definition of like an old soul. That's true. You know? But I think there's also a part of Aang that is very um, Willing to be self-sacrificing. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you could spin that a number of ways. You could say that that's just his immense ability to care about other people. But I think that it also could be a sign of how little he values himself. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really seem to think a whole lot of himself and his abilities. He doesn't think that he's up to the task of being the Avatar. Right. right? He, he just didn't, like, when he got that threatening role pushed towards him, instead of, like, embracing and embracing power, he ran from it. He was scared of it. Yeah, I think that's a big, um, a big thing of this first season, where mm-hmm. Aang is still learning his significance in the world, right? right? You know, he thinks it's better to do that small sacrifice for that one village, rather mm-hmm. than thinking of, like, him as the avatar saving the whole world which i guess you kind of have to start there Mm -hmm. to really like grow up to that but Mm -hmm. still yeah absolutely um so moving on oh i did put one little note here for when katara and um, her grandmother had that little uh shouting match and i pointed this out too and Kevin said that I was silly for not noticing it before but grand grand and katara have the same little hair loopies yeah i mean i like (laughs) When when Katara gets to the Northern Water Tribe, I think they really like try to bring attention to that of how she's so similar to her grandmother or whatever. Yes. Yeah. But mostly it's like the internal, I yes. think. Yeah. But this was a, the first time that I actually saw that kind of external thing and it almost made me like wonder like, oh, do they like pass down like hairstyles throughout like, you know, the family? Mm, something um, like that. That Some would be sort really tradition, neat, right? right? Yeah. Um, or maybe that's just the only hairstyle her grandmother knew how to do <laughs> and teach, uh, taught her how to do that. I don't know. I, I think it's just, um, Katara seems to really want to have this connection with her family, mm-hmm. you know, like through the betrothal necklace that she has and mm-hmm. yeah well i think that's true for katara and sokka like right. i think family is really yeah. important to everyone in the water tribe especially everyone in the southern water tribe because of how much family has been kind of ripped apart mm-hmm. by the war um and that's definitely a theme that i think you see a lot whenever like discussing war narratives is how war impacts the idea of the family mm-hmm. um and a lot of times just strengthens those bonds and, um, yeah, Katara definitely very much wants to be connected to the maternal side of herself, of her family, um, to the mother that she lost. And then Sokka, I think as well, we see him throughout this episode, um, trying to channel his family as well. Mostly his, his father's side. We see him trying to channel into that idea that he has of his father, this big, brave warrior man defending, you know, right. his village. I mean, he went through the whole, maybe this is skipping forward a little That's too okay. far. Go ahead. But like, you know, when, um... They start seeing Zuko's ship arriving, uh, and Sokka takes that time to put on the 
Water Tribe's traditional face paint and like like warrior outfit and everything mm-hmm. seems yeah. very much that. I motivation. was actually wondering. I didn't have time to look this up before we did the podcast, but wondering like how much of the face paint that we see him do is like based on traditional uh, Inuit war face painting. Mm-hmm. Um, like if they found some kind of style that was like similar to that. I have or no clue. Yeah. If it was just kind of like loosely based on that, because I know that like a lot of um, you know various like small community. Like, um, I, I want to stray away from just saying, like, this is just, like, a tribal thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, they do have certain, like, uh, war uh, traditions. Right. And so it would be interesting to know where, if anywhere, like, that visual is based on. Yeah, maybe we'll have to look it up because it does come up again in the series quite quite a few times. Oh, yeah, that's true. Like, later on, I think we do see other, like, water tribe men also putting mm-hmm. on similar face paint. Uh, so we'll come back to that, I guess. Uh, but one thing I did want to mention uh, before we move on any further is that moment at um, three minutes, 21 seconds, where uh, Aang is getting ready to leave. And <laughs> every time I see this scene, it's so serious. It's supposed to be so emotional and sad, but I just laugh. <laughs> And I feel bad for laughing, but because there's this kid who runs out from the tribe and just yells out in this... <laughs> I don't know. Man, this really don't put- go. I'll miss you. <laughs> it's just so rehearsed, I guess, and it yeah. just seems like kind of generic. Yeah, it and- doesn't. It's not. It doesn't have the force of like acting, right? You know? And like they probably use like an actual child, so I don't mean to my, like diss their theory, acting abilities. My theory is that that's like some form of nepotism. Oh, like yeah. you know, like somebody was just like, oh, can my can my like kid do that? Yeah, that one line. Yeah. Villager um, number 21 or yeah, whatever. Exactly. <laughs> but the pulsating eyes, too, they get to me. They're just so... The glistening. Like, it's so cheesy. At least that's yeah. how it, like, rings to me. I'm just, like, this little kid who, like, had no lines, no identity, just running out of the crowd being like, don't leave, I'll miss you. Yeah. <laughs> and their eyes pulsating. <laughs> Normally, I say, I would say, like, this is what you get when you, like, have actual children acting, you know? But... At the same time, it contrasts with Aang, who, mm-hmm. like, was also an actual child, yeah. right? Because they got, like, an actual 12-year-old, right? Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, at the time. And he does such a good job. Listen, there are some kids who I think are just born to be at least voice actors, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think of Steven Universe right now, and they also got, you know, a young 12-year-old boy to voice Steven, and he grew up with that role. Yep. And um, so I think that there are definitely some child actors out there who are able to deliver really authentic experiences, and then there's some that are just meant to be background voice actors for good reason. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Just that one moment always kind of ruins the the mood of the scene for me. But I just wanted to mention that. Um, so moving on <laughs> past that, uh, we see Aang now uh, exiled from the village. He's still kind of like hanging out, I guess unwilling to move on just yet. And uh, he's hanging out in this cool-looking little iceberg. Yeah, what a great shot. Just right? like Aang and Appa napping in an iceberg. With this little holes in it. Yeah, it was just a good composition. Like, yeah. I feel like that was definitely like, 
a Brian storyboard painting or something like that. You really like the visual of them yeah. both like curled up in their little nooks. Yeah. But I just like wrote here like four, four minutes, 33 seconds. Appa looking so cute with his he, little, all his little paws tucked in. He's an upside down loaf. Yes. And he's like upside down and like in a little U shape. Oh, so cute. He, so, so cute. I, I envy whoever got to draw that what scene. What would it feel like to just be hugged by Appa in that position? Um, just, I think you mm. might be squished to death and die. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's like thousands of pounds. But it'd be so comfortable. <laughs> that's true. I think maybe cuddling like his head would be a little bit more comfortable. But that's just me. Um, okay, so then after that we see the warship approaching the village. And uh, Zuko is, you know, getting ready on board with his attendants. Another little clue of his status, mm -hmm. right, as the prince. I still don't think they've officially said No, that I don't think so. His father's like the fire lord i think they dropped some hints because like i think at one point in this episode towards the end iroh says like uh the fire lord will be pleased or something like that yeah well but, he also says my father too well yeah talking like about uh capturing the avatar and, yeah like, my father will like you know appreciate this gift of the staff right but i don't know if like his like they've actually said he's the prince no i don't think they're trying to really hide it but no. like they're really like you know, building up that world there where yeah. it is pretty interesting that he has his attendants put on his armor for him. Right. But that's just another, you know, little show-don't-tell moment. Yes. Right, of his status. Um, so we see them approaching. Uh, Aang sees them approaching from mm -hmm. a distance as well. And he's like, oh, no, I have to go back. You know, they're in danger. And um, then I wrote down this question for when the ship first comes up to the village. I was really incredulous now looking back and watching this episode as an adult, like if a ship could actually push through the ice, like it did in that moment. Like I just, I just think of like Titanic and how it tried to push through a big hunk of ice and it lost. <laughs> yeah. That is a little strange. Yeah. So I just, I don't Granted, really know like, how realistic that was. <laughs> their ship is narrower and meant more for, you know, ramming. Mm -hmm. But yeah, a little strange. But it was also a relatively small ship. Yeah. Like Especially it wasn't compared... that big. I mean, I know like in the scene, they make it look larger than right. life. But, but we see the other Fire Nation ships later and they're like twice as large. They're twice as big. So yeah. that just makes me think like all the more that this is kind of a little bit of a more dramatic than realism mm -hmm. kind of shot. Uh, but again, I get the symbolism, yeah. right? The the Fire Nation, like, physically, literally dividing, dividing you know, Invading, ripping up yeah. the, this world that they're in, this tiny little world. My question is, do you think Sokka actually think he could do anything? I... I think that, honestly, in this moment, he was probably just channeling the idea of, like, an honorable warrior defeat that's what death. i thought too i was like i feel like if anything he's just like you know if i can distract them for so many you know seconds mm -hmm. then it doesn't matter right yeah maybe the village can get away or something yeah although it didn't seem like they were all that concerned no yeah um definitely also talking about Sokka, right trying to face down this warship um <laughs> another moment that's supposed to be serious but also kind of silly is just that effortless little oh, round yeah. kick 
that Sokka gets to his face delivered to, by Zuko, you know, when he starts running up the um, the ramp. Yeah. And, uh, gosh, and he just lands. He didn't even firebend or anything. <laughs> yes! He, just, he just deflected and kicked him off. I wrote that here, right? I, I wrote that it was very notable that Zuko, the entire time he ever is, like, sparring or fighting with Sokka, he doesn't use firebending. He, he does a little bit. He uses it a little bit to intimidate the village, mm-hmm. right, into giving them the information he wants. But, like, with Sokka, like in one-on-one hand-to-hand combat, he uses no firebending. Yeah. He just uses like physical force. You know, I it, it is interesting that um, Zuko is so concerned with giving off this intimidating aura, mm-hmm. but he notably never really hurts anybody. No. You know? He doesn't. And like, you know, you could say uh, in one way, maybe he thinks so much of himself that he doesn't see... Um, you know, these villagers or Sokka as a threat. Yeah. But I think on the other hand, uh, us being rewatchers without giving too much away, uh, I think that we see a bit later in the series as Zuko starts to kind of like develop and have conflicts with his own identity and like trying to answer this question of who am I, that even though he tries to act like an imposing, intimidating, you know, fire prince. Mm-hmm. In reality, that's just not a part of his core self. Right. It's really hard for him to be truly cruel yes. to others, right? Like, when he, even when he, you know, kidnaps Aang and brings him onto the ship, like, he could do the typical kidnapper thing, which is to, you know... Toy with and torture mm-hmm. your captee, or like knock him unconscious. Yes, yeah, or something like that. But instead, he just kind of ties up his hands. Yeah, and then it's just like just Put take him, him room. T- take him to the brig or whatever. Yeah, and so I think that Zuko goes through the motions a lot of trying to be um, seemingly f- like without emotion. Mm-hmm. But if we really look closely at his mannerisms. It's more of an act. Yeah, definitely. That, that's all I wanted to point out because mm-hmm. it's like, again, I think it goes with the theming of the show of just like running away from who you are, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, finding out right. what parts of you are true, yeah. you know, and real. And that's what makes him such a great foil to Aang, definitely. right? Is that they're both kind of running away from their true identities because mm-hmm. they're kind of afraid of the implications of taking on that role, right? Mm-hmm. Just as it's scary to Aang uh, taking on all the responsibilities and the weight that comes with being the Avatar, right? The peace bringer. I think Zuko is also intimidated and afraid of what it means to be true to himself because that means going against his family. Right. And that's a very scary thing to do. Especially since he's, you know, royalty of the Fire Nation. Right, yeah. yeah. And he's already, you know face some consequences for going against his family in certain ways they're both like trapped by circumstances of their birth right you know uh not of their choosing but Mm. one of them you know ultimately is going to choose to embrace uh that role uh that's been thrust on them and the other one's going to choose to reject it well or at least transform it Mm -hmm. yeah right what it it truly means to be a leader yeah that's good uh good point (laughs) I, i will say um so moving on um when ang comes back you know, earlier in the episode, they say you can't beat the Fire Nation with fun. Mm. When Aang comes back to help the village, he literally saves the, them from the Fire Nation with fun by mm. knocking Zuko 
around with the penguin, with his penguin sledding. Yes, I love that entry, right? That very dramatic uh, enter into the scene. Perfect. And just completely, literally knocks Zuko off his feet, Mm -hmm. right? He's just completely unprepared for Aang. Mm -hmm. I just like the irony of just that callback. Yes, and I also, at 8 minutes, 22 seconds, I wrote the funny sound again. Oh, yeah. My little woo! (laughs) Just great. I love that sound. It's it's something that's stuck in my memory. I guess they use it quite often. Oh, yeah. And um, it definitely... I mean, it's the, def- like the Avatar version of the sad trombone. The <laughs> yes, you know? but it, it strikes the right chord um, for sure. Just being like, well, that's kind of unexpected or weird or awkward. Um, so then uh, we get the long-awaited, or not long-awaited, but anticipated, I should say, fight between um, Zuko and Aang. And it's a pretty short one. Uh, but again, we have this line, and I don't know if I, I can't remember if I mentioned this last podcast, uh, but um, there was that one line in the first episode where you're still a kid. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have um, a slightly different version of that again with Aang facing off against Zuko and him just being like, you're just a child, like in a derogatory way. Yeah. And then Aang just being like, well, you're just a teenager. Right. Sort, sort of like how Aang and uh, Zuko are foils to each other. Setting up how Zuko and Katara are also foils of each other. Right. But, I mean, I think this, again, just kind of highlights the fact of in this unprecedented time of war and conflict and children being forced to be mature uh, past their years for the sake of survival, um, for the sake of being what their families need or want them to be, Mm -hmm. that they kind of are trying to ignore that part of themselves. Yeah. And Aang being this kind of, you know, as we said, very pure, honest child, he he looks at them with uh, unclouded eyes. Yeah. And he's just like, you are just a kid. You yeah, are you're just also a just a kid. Yeah. yeah. And he's just kind of like reminding them of this part of themselves that they're trying to kind of forget or move away from. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really um, telling not just of who Aang is, but also the characters around him. Yeah, definitely. Um, but then uh, at 9 minutes, 45 seconds, we get to see a scene that I, as a rewatcher, now um, looking at it again, immediately reminded me of a scene that we see later. Okay. So at 9 minutes, 45 seconds, we have this slow-mo uh, couple of seconds uh-huh. during the fight where Aang is trying Between to... Between Aang and Zuko, right? Yes. Yeah. Where uh, Aang is trying to deflect some of the fire... Uh, and suddenly time slows down, and he looks behind him, and he hears the children of the village screaming. Right, yeah. Because they're scared of the fire. And he gets this kind of horrified look on his face. And for people who have watched the show before, I'm not trying to give too much of a spoiler, but for people who've watched the show before, this should be familiar to you, because there's another very key scene much later in the show. I think it's either season two or season three. I think it's season two. The first time that Aang tries to learn firebending, oh, yes. he also has another slow-mo scene where there's fire all around him, and then all of a sudden he hears screaming, and it's like kind of like time slows down in that second, mm-hmm. and I think that that was intentional, right? Sure. C- calling back to this first scene where Aang is um, recognizing firebending and to a larger extent the Fire Nation as this epicenter of... Fear, cruelty, pain, right? Um, 
in terms of what it brings to other people, what it does to other people. Yeah, definitely. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> That's okay. I can move on. Um, so then um, my next note is at 12 minutes, 24 seconds, um, where Aang has now willingly allowed himself to be captured by the Fire Nation to protect the village. Right. And uh, Zuko is talking to him a little bit. Uh, and like he mentions his father and then he says, I guess you don't know anything about fathers to Aang, mm -hmm. right? Because he was like, you were just raised by monks. And I still have this like question in my mind after watching the entire show, which is like, I guess I just don't completely understand, or at least it's not clearly explained to me how family systems work in the air nomad yeah, I tried to do a little bit of research just looking, well, research. I looked at the, you know, fandom wiki, mm -hmm. and it seems like what people have gleaned is that the airbending nomads, the air nomads, their society encourages or does not look down on, like, people having relationships, mm. but, like, I guess it's kind of... Not encouraged? I mean, not... It's kind of not exactly opposite, but... Mm, they don't have, like, long-term relationships in the same way, because I guess it's part of that idea of, like, letting go of your earthly desires thing. Mm -hmm. And it seems like if there's any kids, like, the, the boys get transferred to the male, like, uh, monasteries, mm -hmm. and then females get transferred and, like, raised by the female, like, uh, temples. Yeah. You know? And it, yeah, but in that old kind of weird way it just feels sort of cruel to me to do that it does I, seem a little strange it yes. just kind of feels like the giver or something like that you yeah. know what one of those dystopian stories where it's like oh well when you reach a certain age or maybe even at birth you're taken away from your biological family mm -hmm. and placed with you know some surrogate family yeah who will raise you correctly yeah to be fair i mean from what we've seen every, like all the air nomads are very like friendly and loving and respectful of each right. other so i guess it's not too bad i mean who are we to judge when it's like that's their whole life yeah but it is i guess from our perspective very strange yeah i guess it just yeah it always struck me that egg never really had that kind of desire to know about his family or where he came mm -hmm. from he was just kind of like i'm just me well i mean i'll save this for the next episode since it's more relevant then but i think there are reasons for that okay mm-hmm um, I, I want to get to the fighting because th okay. this is a big taste of uh, this episode is when you first get a big taste of like the fight choreography, mm -hmm. which is a big, pretty big chunk of the show, which mm -hmm. I think a lot of um, had a lot of draw for certain people. And this know. is the second fight that happens on the ship. On the ship, right. So this is after uh, Aang breaks free and is trying to find his staff and he busts into Zuko's room and they start having a little spar in there, right? And like... Great animation, like, ambitious angles. You can definitely tell, like, most likely Brian just being like, push the angles further. Oh, yes, you absolutely. Know? I mean, another thing for our um, listeners to know is that if um, you do watch that documentary, they do mention quite a bit the other animators discussing that Brian really loved cinematic angles. Right. Like, things that were just the peak of visual drama. Yeah. And... The other animators working on the team, who pretty much only had a background in TV animation, mm -hmm. were not used to this. Yeah, getting a little challenged. <laughs> it was ex extremely challenging for them to meet the kind of vision that he had in his own mind. Oh yeah, didn't one of them say something like, 
he didn't learn that style of drawing in school or something. Right, the no. perspective and no, the No, it focused yeah. uh, very much on more, like, kind of general scenes, I think. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, we definitely see in this second fight a lot of dramatic mm-hmm. uh, visuals. And uh, yeah. just a little note here, the, the where the fight begins in the room, I know that you want to talk a little bit about, like, the fighting style mm-hmm. that was going on there or i should say styles because mm-hmm. definitely zuko and ang have um very conflicting styles of fighting um but man <laughs> i don't know what's the deal I, I have to guess the the tapestry and the fabrics and everything that zuko has in his room must be at least slightly fireproof yeah considering how he just spits fire everywhere <laughs> he splits fire everywhere but the, the room doesn't catch on fire yeah. I guess, like, maybe Iroh ordered that after, like, him just having constant temper tantrums where he just breathes fire everywhere. (laughs) Maybe. Is that why all their ships are steel? Maybe so. Hmm, interesting. Um, But, yeah, I also wanted to bring attention, now that we're starting to get a taste of the fighting, Mm -hmm. um, uh, around 1520, Mm -hmm. uh, you start seeing Aang... um, mirroring Zuko. He steps behind him and he starts mm-hmm. matching his footwork. Playing a little shadow. Yes, that's that's very uh, true to life, uh, the style that airbending was based off of, the Bagua style, where you, you start wanting to mirror and follow your opponents so you can predict their movements and, mm-hmm. like, avoid them. And, yes. like, you can see throughout the whole scene, Aang's style of attack is just, you know, circular motions throughout mm-hmm. the room, right? Mm-hmm. And that's true to the real-life style. Absolutely. And it's... You know, again, amazing representation, well thought out research. You know? Showing not only the this culture, um, this representation of this martial art, mm-hmm. but also philosophy, who, the, who these people are yeah. and how they see the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just more great ways that we're showing and not telling in this this TV series. Also in 1551, are those Zuko's swords? <laughs> The swords that you're just obsessed with. (laughs) They're there. They're there. For those who know. Did you see the mask? No. But I like, yeah. Yeah. The swords, man. He likes them. Mm -hmm. They're they're always there in his room. Um, And of course, we can't, you know, finish talking about this uh, initial part of the fight in the room without talking about the mattress gag. I know. It's so funny. (laughs) It's just like the music just stops and he's just like. And hurls him against the wall and then just up on the ceiling for good measure, you know, and then just leaves. God, can you imagine how much that would hurt? Like, Oh my gosh. (laughs) But honestly, what would hurt more, his body or his ego? Yeah, true. Because he's he's putting his heart and soul into this fight, man. He is fighting so seriously. Mm -hmm. And Aang is just fighting like a kid. Yeah. You know, he's just, like you said, fighting them with fun. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a part of Zuko that's kind of insulted by that. And, you know, because he's been preparing for this big epic battle and instead he's just kind of getting this gag show yes yeah where he's the butt of the joke again like this last final like moments of this episode with zuko (laughs) is just as episode one was setting up the dynamics of all the characters this one sets up the dynamic of zuko chasing Gatara and Aang and Sokka, mm-hmm. right? Just Zuko doggedly, you know, yes. determinedly, like, following them. And yes. then they're just barely squeaking by as they travel. Yes, I mean, like, okay, so those couple of seconds there, right, when Aang first um, is running uh, on the helm of the ship, mm-hmm. right, trying to get away with his glider. And uh, first of all, I made a note of, like, that beautiful, like, half second where Aang just kind of, like, looks up at the sky. It's really quick, and it's really, like subtle like they don't bring a lot of attention to it but it's there but it's there that moment of like his face changes for a second from fear to like you know just absolute relief and you see him like close his eyes and just smile for a second and kind of breathe in 
right? The air. Yeah. And just like kind of like showing him like, oh, yes, I'm, I'm so close to freedom. Right. Well, right. They, they've mentioned before that the airbenders never feel comfortable in enclosed spaces. No. Yeah. So you can see him kind of like losing that bit of or, anxiety. I for... guess they mentioned later. Yeah, <laughs> later. Um, and then right after that, right? So we get a moment of like, you know, glimpse into his character again. And then right after that, as he's like this close to getting away, we see Zuko run out onto that, you know, second tier part of the ship and then jump up, right? And just reaching for Aang in midair. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yes. He's like, he ain't concerned about falling. He's no. like, I'm going to get that avatar. No matter what. Yeah. And I think that that shows the kind of desperation that is fueling him. Mm-hmm. It's not just about, you know, catching the av- avatar for pride. There's something kind of... Des- Personal. Really desperate. Yeah. Like, you know, it's almost kind of pitiful how um, how much he just wants to get this. And it's not just about, like, winning. Yeah, it's not a trophy thing to him. No. Yeah. It's about getting back to something that he lost. Um, so... Then at 17 minutes, 14 seconds, uh, we uh, have this little moment where Aang is trying to, again, deflect, get away from Zuko. Appa has now showed up in the sky and he's like, you know, trying to get up to them, but he keeps getting fireballs thrown in his face by Zuko and he falls over the side of the ship. And I wrote this note here for 17 minutes, 14 seconds, because human bodies do not sink like that. I'm sorry for raising my voice, but it's just not physics. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know it's super dramatic. And I can see Brian being like, no, he needs to sink deep into the ocean. As he falls into unconsciousness. (laughs) Yes. as like this physical representation. But please, I just need people to know that human bodies do not sink like that. Mm. Even when you're dead and full of water. That's what I was going to say. He would have to have actively been like drinking in the water for that to happen. Happen, it's so. just no it just wouldn't happen like he just sinks like a rock and i'm like no that's just not real right but anyway i had to get that out of my system i'm sorry about that um so then a little bit later at 17 minutes 32 seconds oh i just wrote that we got a really cool shot uh of ang avatar state water bending and he like comes out dramatically and he's like surrounded by this big column of swirling tornado-like water. Yes. And that was just so cool. Like, I could tell, like, in, like, the animation room, they were just like, you've got to make it look cool as heck. Yes, it's it's definitely one of those moments where it's just like, no matter what, it's just cool. It just looks, he looks like a superhero. Right, but it does serve a purpose because I think not only for the audience, you get a taste of what professional or masterful waterbending is, Mm -hmm. but again, what we were talking about, Katara's motivation for leaving, she gets to see masterful waterbending. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure, like, they don't show up, but I'm sure she's feeling jealous. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so then uh, they finish off the fight pretty quickly with Aang in the uh, Avatar state uh, with really cool waterbending slappy slappies. Yeah. He knocks everyone <laughs> off the ship. And Everybody the off the ship. And um, then as he's, like, you know, coming out of the uh, Avatar state and kind of, like, um, you can see it's really draining to him because he uh, falls, right? He falls like three times. He falls like three times. Like he like falls one way, then the other way, and then yes, the other way. But I was going to say, around those couple of seconds at like 1757 is the timestamp that I put. Um, but that slow fall was like probably the smoothest piece of animation in this entire episode. Right. Like I feel like a lot of times like they're trying to kind of just go like, go, 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 like jump through the motions. We got to get through all the Mm -hmm. points in this episode, but that they took a little bit of time Mm -hmm. with that fall and him kind of swaying a little bit. And I really appreciated that. Yeah. Probably just to emphasize how much the avatar state really takes out of him. Right. That's, 
Pretty but they could have had him just fall again, like, just over. But instead, they kind of have him sway, you know, mm-hmm. like, slowly losing consciousness. Um, and then, uh, of course, Zuko, never one to uh, give up. Goonies never say die, I guess. <laughs> he uh, makes one last appearance, trying to crawl back onto the ship and grab Aang's staff away from Sokka. Mm-hmm. And then we get this moment of... Uh, callback or revenge, whatever you want to say, with um, Sokka taking the staff and going boink, boink, boink onto yeah. <laughs> Zuko's head. A callback to when they had their fight at the beginning of the episode and um, Zuko took Sokka's weapon and boink, boink, boinked him on his head. So he's like, haha, I get you back. And, and uh, has this little moment of, yeah, you know, that that's from the water tribe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, everybody likes that sense of... Uh... I don't know if you would call it dramatic irony, but that those callbacks, it's always it's always satisfying to have in any oh, show, yes. you know. Yeah. Just it comes full circle. Yes. Right. And then, you know, at the end of the episode, um, you get this breathe of relief, you know, they've made it away. But of course they're trying to have this like um moment of heart to heart with Aang and Katara, and we get full Kalimba. Yes, the thumb piano, which to me is the quintessential Avatar sound. It really is, right? And I wrote here that like I feel like kalimba equals emotion time. Yeah, no, that's what I was saying in the last episode. That's the language they're trying to convey yeah. is that those um, softer kalimba moments are the introspective ones. It's the real talk time, mm-hmm. the emotion time with kalimba. While Aang shows his real plans yes. of riding animals throughout the world. Yes, he quickly very much breaks the seriousness of that moment into being like, okay, let's go on a fun field trip, guys! Mm-hmm. And just going right back into classic Aang mode. But right before that, I want to say one of my favorite lines from probably this entire season, honestly, is Katara being like, you know, why didn't you tell us what you were the Avatar? And then Aang saying, I never wanted to be. Yeah. Again, that shot when they zoom out and Aang's just perched on the saddle. Yes, and, and isolated yeah. and alone. And then I lo- I wrote here, I love that moment where they have the like silence and a dark cloud passes over. You don't yes. see the cloud, but you mm. see the shadow. Yeah. And it particularly passes over Aang. Right. And um, it shows like that moment of just like absolute emotional doubt, doubt, dismay, whatever Mm -hmm. you want to say. But then right after that, we have little bits of sun coming through, Mm -hmm. right? The storm and kind of showing like there's hope, right? Uh, That uh, we're we're heading to somewhere better. Yeah, definitely. I mean, with any good, as with any good show, you really have to pay attention to the color palettes they choose to use. Yes. As well as like the environmental storytelling. Yes. Because I didn't mention it earlier, but when they were in the ship, like um, everything gets that like darker gray tone Mm -hmm. from the steel. And and the red. Yeah. I I actually noted that a little bit. I didn't mention it earlier. Uh, But yeah, there was a lot of red lighting there. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's not just like, you know, Fire Nation, but also kind of like showing the. The Tense. The tensity, yeah. right? The intensity of the scene. Yes. And the kind of, like, anxiousness. No, definitely. The, the I mean, again, it's not unique to Avatar, mm-hmm. but it's just, you know, another little storytelling device that they yes. use very well, very effectively. Right. And uh, all the more reason that I think that this story is so powerful, because they don't just rely on one way of presenting it it's Mm -hmm. not just dialogue it's not just the music Mm -hmm. it's not even just the visuals it's all of it rolled up into one exactly right like these creators trying to communicate with us in many formats and um i think that that all together just uh strikes just the right chord Mm -hmm. with what they're trying to achieve all right so that's all that we have for today join us next time as we rewatch chapter three the southern air temple next episode yep yep (laughs) 